This episode of the Miriam Institute podcast features a conversation between two former ambassadors of the State of Israel, both of whom are contributing experts at the Miriam Institute. Ambassador Arthur Cole, a former Deputy Director of Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and an individual aligned with the left of center within Israel's political spectrum, was joined by Ambassador Danny Ayalon, Israel's former ambassador to the United States of America and someone aligned with the right of center politically. They joined me to discuss the topic entitled Biden and Bennett, Pros and Pitfalls of the Relationship. With Naftali Bennett serving as Israel's newly minted Prime Minister, I asked the two ambassadors to weigh in on a number of areas, including how Prime Minister Bennett is likely to broach the issue of the Biden administration's readiness to re-enter the Iran deal. How would he tackle that issue? Would he do so publicly, as did his predecessor, or privately? I had the two ambassadors assess the significance of IDF Chief of Staff Aviv Kochavi's trip to visit with his counterparts in the United States, wondering whether or not the dispatch of a definitively non-political figure such as the Chief of Staff might signal the non-political nature of Israel's approach to the Iranian issue. We also discussed the challenge of Prime Minister Bennett to square the circle between his approach to the continued building in Judea and Samaria and the objections raised by the Obama administration to that policy. An administration which, of course, Joe Biden served within as vice president. The subject of bipartisan support for the State of Israel and outreach to the American Jewish community were two topics from which we did not shy away during this discussion. And I also took the time to assess the vital role to be played by Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, whose approach to that role, whose powers of communication and comparatively secular perspectives may well prove to be centrally assistive to Prime Minister Bennett as Minister Lapid begins his role as one of the most powerful foreign ministers in the history of the State of Israel. There were areas of lockstep agreement between the two ambassadors with whom I conversed and points of divergence, and surprisingly, about all of these subjects and more and it made for an insightful and informative discussion. And as ever, I do hope that you enjoy this episode of the podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute. Israel's future in Israel's hands. Okay, everybody, thank you so very much for being with us today for this episode of the Miriam Institute webinar. We're very excited to have our guests with us, and I'll address myself to them in just a moment. Uh, But before I do, and before I introduce them in earnest, I want to express, as ever I do, uh, my profound thanks to the co-founder of the Miriam Institute, Rosita Panini. Thank you, Rosita, for everything that you do on behalf of this organization and a great deal beyond that. And also, I want to thank our colleague in common, 
the great and powerful Mr. Alan Langer, truly great, truly powerful and with us here today. Thank you, Alan, for everything that you have done to facilitate this webinar. Uh, we are going to be talking today, ladies and gentlemen, about the Bennett-Biden relationship, the pitfalls and the pros, or the pros and the pitfalls. It's obviously a very important subject. And whether you're joining us by way of this live webinar, or by way of the podcast, or by way of a postcast, or indeed you're watching us on JBS, we thank each and every one of you for granting your time and your attention to a subject that certainly, certainly warrants that time and attention. And quite frankly, to delve into this subject, we could not have hoped for two more qualified, better qualified individuals, uh, both of whom have served the state and the people of Israel for decades, both of whom are intimately familiar with the foreign ministry, and both of whom well understand and have a deep understanding of the various machinations of the Israeli-American relationship. I'm going to interview them. It's not a debate. They're going to bounce around their responses between one another. They'll tell me where they think I'm right. They'll tell me where they think I'm wrong. And in the spirit of the Miriam Institute, we will arrive at an elevated conversation today. So to introduce, first of all, Ambassador Danny Ayalon. Danny Ayalon served as Israel's ambassador to the United States of America from July 2002 to November 2006, during which time relations between the two countries reached an all-time high. Strategic, political, and economic ties were deepened and expanded across the board. And Ambassador Ayalon played a leading role in securing the agreement for $10 billion in US grants and loan guarantees to Israel, the roadmap for peace, the historic exchange of letters between President Bush and PM Ariel Sharon, and the bilateral trade that reached $20 billion and another $10 billion in investment from 1997 to 2002. Prior to his appointment to the United States, Danny Ayalon served as foreign policy advisor to Prime Ministers Benjamin Netanyahu and Ehud Barak, and as chief foreign policy advisor to Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. As a member of Israel's Foreign Service from 1989 to 1997, he represented Israel as a consul in Panama and as a member of the Israel, Israeli, as a member of Israel's permanent mission to the United Nations. Prior to his governmental service, Danny Ayalon worked in the private sector as a senior financial executive, and we're honored to have him with us here today. Thank you so very much, Ambassador Ayalon. Danny Ayalon is joined by Ambassador Arthur Cole. Ambassador Cole, before I read his credentials to you, is also a great friend of the Miriam Institute from our inception, and is also something of a mentor of mine. Ambassador Arthur Cole is the former Deputy Director General of the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs, where he concluded his service as the head of the Media and Public Affairs Division. He's a former ambassador to, of the State of Israel to the Republic of Serbia and Montenegro and served as instructor of the National Defense College. Arthur Cole also served as consul of the Israeli consulate in Atlanta in the United States and as director of projects for the Central Europe and Eurasia Division. He earned his BA from Hebrew University of Jerusalem an MA in political science from the University of Haifa with a distinction and 
Ambassador Cole is a former instructor at the Israel National Defense College. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you agree we could not have two better qualified individuals to interview today. Welcome to you, Ambassador Ayalon. Welcome, Ambassador Cole. And first question, may I call you both by your first names for the purposes Please. of this interview? Please do. Wonderful. Well, we're very, very pleased to be here. We're very pleased to be able to talk about this important subject. Now, I know that there will naturally be an overlap with the various topics that I'd like to cover with you today, but I've broken those topics broadly into the categories of Iran, bipartisan support for the State of Israel, internal coalition competition, which is something we might get to at the end, but I'm going to put that as a lower priority, uh, within the Israeli government, and also the role of the foreign ministry uh, within the relationship between Prime Minister Bennett and President Joe Biden. So I'd like to start with this question outright, and it focuses on the subject of Iran. But before I ask it, let me give a little bit of context. I have very long believed that the idea of seeking to mobilize American Jewry and pro-Israel lobbying groups on matters of global, as opposed to regional or local policy, pertaining to the United States administration is a misguided and, and even damaging policy. I don't believe in the potency of a policy, a policy that encourages thousands of individuals to applaud in sealed rooms against a given policy of an American president. And my reason for that is not because I believe it's wrong to seek to gain the approval of the Jewish community in the United States, but because I believe it's ineffective. Now, distinct from that policy, for example, is my view that Netanyahu's speech to the US Congress was right and was appropriate and effective. Feel free to disagree with me, of course. Uh, but ultimately that too was unsuccessful on the issue of the Iran deal. So with all of that having been said, we are back to discussing the Iran deal, the potential re-entry of the United States into some sort of an accord. My question is this, will a Prime Minister Bennett emulate the megaphone approach of his predecessor, Prime Minister Netanyahu, or will he prefer the sealed room discussions employed by former PM Olmert? And for our audience's information, when Israel discovered the construction of a Syrian nuclear reactor in 2007, Prime Minister Olmert visited with then President George W. Bush to determine whether or not the US would carry out the strike against the reactor when President Bush refused to do so and encouraged a dip diplomatic resolution, Olmert launched what came to be known as Operation Outside the Box. He detonated the reactor, he neutralized the threat, and all of that took place without any acrimony between an Israeli prime minister and an American president. Which approach is likely to be the one taken by Prime Minister Bennett, and which is the right approach? And Arthur, I'm going to start with you, and then Danny, you can reply. Um, thank you very much. First of all, uh, I just want to make a comment about uh, the speech that you referred to. I think actually that uh, Netanyahu's speech uh, at the Congress on, on the issue of Iran was uh, wrong, uh, was ineffective, and was damaging. Uh, it was ineffective clearly because the agreement was signed and it was damaging in the long run because uh, we still suffer from the consequences of uh, a, a 
a choice that Prime Minister Netanyahu made long time ago and consistently followed it, and that is to prefer the Republican ties rather than being by, by, uh, bipartisan. And, uh, and that, I think that on, on that regard, there is a lot of uh, fixing uh, damage done uh, in front of us. Uh, and I think that uh, in part answers your question, I strongly believe that uh, silent dialogue uh, without any damaging statements uh, which uh, create confrontation is what we need. That uh, definitely on such sensitive issues. I truly believe that uh, Bennett uh, uh, will enjoy uh, a warm welcome by the Biden administration, first and foremost, because he's not Benjamin Netanyahu. And, 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 and there is a desire to see a new beginning uh, in, in the relationship between the presidency and Israel, between the Democratic uh, Party and Israel. And, and he will be given the chance uh, and the way the Israeli government, Prime Minister uh, Bennett, uh, Foreign Minister Lapid and others conduct themselves uh, will we'll show, the, we'll show the way. Uh, and the way to, uh, to take is silent dialogue, creating trust, renewed trust, and building on the, on the trust uh, on, on every sensitive issue. Danny, what are your thoughts on that? If you could share your perspective on Netanyahu's speech in the Congress and then tell us whether you agree with Arthur's assessment of how Bennett is likely to approach this. And also, the readiness of a Biden administration to accept a Naftali Bennett. You know, I remember reading about Menachem Begin and the idea that this right of center prime minister would be absolutely ostracized from the political landscape in America. It turned out not to be true. Could we see a repeat of that outcome with the prime minister Bennett? Yes, well, uh, first of all, uh, Anthony, uh, thank Benjamin. you again for the invitation. And um, I, again, I applaud very much you, Rosita and Ellen for this great work, continued and ongoing, very good and important work of the Miriam Institute. So may you continue to grow from strength to strength and Yishar Koa. Thank you. I agree with everything Arthur said. Let me just add one personal uh, facet here, which, is, which really goes down to the um, characters and maybe personalities of the two presidents, especially with the uh, Bennett. Um, I believe Bennett will go for the behind doors approach and not the megaphone diplomacy on two accounts. The first one is uh, because he is not Bibi Netanyahu. He doesn't uh, yet have the gravitas of Bibi Netanyahu. He is not very well known as a um, political leader uh, in the world, not even in the United States. So uh, he doesn't have any intimate uh, um, knowledge or, um, or personal contacts with, the, with Congress and many of uh, uh, the American leaders. So I believe he will be much more comfortable to do it uh, again in a very, very low keyed uh, manner. Secondly, just as Arthur said, the approach, the megaphone approach or Bibi Netanyahu approach uh, proved to be uh, ineffective, uh, unfortunately. And uh, if we are brutally honest, uh, we see where we are today. Today, Iran is closer to the bomb than ever before. Uh, so uh, we know that, first of all, uh, 
Uh, his uh, approach back in uh, 2015 did not help. And also, uh, we are now at a, uh, at a junction where uh, we know that as they are now enriching up to 60% grade uh, uh, uranium, where they are toughening their position vis-a-vis -vis the United States, we have to have a very, very quick response. And the response should be devised in uh, cooperation and coordination, collaboration with Israel. And this can only be done if a trust, a real trust is being established between uh, Jerusalem and Washington. And this is why I believe that uh, uh, Bennett, and I'm sure he will be uh, invited very soon to Washington, uh, actually the one uh, Israeli personality that uh, will precede him is uh, our president, our outgoing President uh, Rivlin, who was, um, again, in a very, very, I would say, extraordinary uh, manner, was invited as a farewell, um, uh, I would say, uh, gesture uh, by, uh, by Biden. He was invited to, to see him. So uh, I believe he will pave the way for uh, the next visit of uh, probably next uh, month of um, Naftali Bennett. Uh, Rivlin himself is also ascribes to the uh, uh, policy of um, keeping a low key, but being very forceful uh, in the behind the, the, the doors uh, negotiation. So uh, I believe this will be the case. Now, there is another aspect here, which is a personal aspect of what would be the relations or the relationship between the two leaders, uh, namely uh, Biden and Bennett. Um, as a general rule, uh, you know, uh, Benjamin, that uh, it's, uh, it almost is uh, uh, not uh, very important, you know, who uh, runs the uh, White House or who runs the uh, Prime Minister's office in Jerusalem. Uh, when it comes to the relationship, Israel and the United States are natural allies. The interest will not change. The character of the relationship will not change. However, uh, personal chemistry, as we say, is also very important, and lack thereof can uh, can be damaging and certainly uh, sending the wrong signals to foes and, and friends alike in the region and uh, and beyond. Uh, I would like to invoke, and, and this will be my last words about this uh, question, uh, uh, Benjamin, the relationship between Clinton, President Clinton, and Yitzhak Rabin, but in reverse. Uh, Clinton was a young, upcoming president. Rabin was a veteran general and a veteran Israeli leader. He was the two times minister of defense and chief of staff and prime minister before. And Clinton looked up to him almost as a, as a uh, father figure. And the bond between the, them, a, you know, notwithstanding the age difference and the personality difference, was amazing. And I believe this could be the same here, but in the reverse, where now the American president is the, um, the older uh, statesman, Bennett is upcoming, the young one, and if he will be able to give Biden the respect and will look at him in, in a way and trust him, I think Biden may like him very much. I know Naftali Bennett and I know he could be very um, he is actually a, a, a people's person, 
and uh, he could strike very, very good relationship. Biden, of course, uh, with the, uh, his experience and age, I believe we'll see a, a Bennett as someone that he can trust, as someone that he can chaperone, and uh, that should not uh, compromise Israel's interest, but quite the contrary. Thank you very much. And that's a great insight, Danny. I, I want to turn back to you, Arthur, about somebody who has been dispatched to the United States. And of course, that's the IDF chief of staff, Aviv Kochavi. He was dispatched for meetings with his counterparts. And in January of this year, Kochavi stated that, and I'm quoting, a return to the nuclear deal from 2015 or even a similar deal with a few improvements is bad and wrong. It is wrong operationally and strategically. Operationally, because it would again allow at its end or before the, the Iranians to enrich uranium, develop centrifuges and a weapons capability, taking them up to breakthrough to a nuclear weapon. Now, my question for you is this, is given the, the complexities of navigating this new relationship between Bennett and Biden, is the dispatch of Kochavi a message from Bennett to Biden that the Iran deal is one of security in nature exclusively, and therefore is it a wise dispatch to have uh, commanded? Or has Kochavi, as some critics are saying, though not many, has Kochavi, by being sent, ended up being unwittingly politicized? We saw, for example, Arthur similar allegations of the politicization of defense officials surrounding Yossi Cohen, former head of the Mossad. What are your thoughts on Kochavi's visit to the United States and how does that help or hinder the Biden-Bennett relationship? First of all, let me say, uh, Benjamin, that uh, in my view, and I think I'm not the only one who thinks so, is uh, uh, Kochavi's uh, open statement regarding the Iran uh, deal uh, at the time was wrong. This was not uh, a statement uh, that should have been taken by a chief of staff, uh, creating some kind of unnecessary tension vis-a-vis -vis the United States because it, has, it had this diplomatic uh, objective. Um, but that it was uh, under a different uh, Israeli government, so Let's put it in that context. Regarding the last visit, no, I don't think that uh, there is uh, any problem uh, and it should not be linked to personal uh, relationships and, uh, and to the status of leaders of the security echelon with the Israeli political elite. Uh, I think at this specific time, uh, the newly elected prime minister felt necessary that uh, the chief of staff with his uh, assistants would go and quietly share all the concerns, all the information and all the concerns that Israel has before the Iran deal is signed, when there is still time to have an, uh, an effect on the outcoming result. And it is necessary to try and have an impact on those uh, talks and it is necessary that our concerns uh, be taken into consideration. And in that context, I see the, the trip of Kochavi and his talks in Washington. 
Danny, if you don't have a divergent opinion from Arthur's on that, I'd like to pitch the next question to you first, if I may. Would you like to come back to anything Arthur mentioned before I move on? Well, uh, only one thing is that, uh, well, the fact that uh, actually the red carpet was rolled for General Kohavi uh, signifies that uh, his statement uh, was not taken uh, in a personal way and, uh, and certainly was not marring uh, uh, the, the, the relationship. I also think that the signal, as you mentioned, uh, Benjamin, that, uh, uh, that he is the first uh, senior Israeli to visit under the new government, is also to emphasize the uh, Israel uh, to the extent of it being an existential threat with all the implications. And this is why it was, I think, was very timely. And uh, I hope also that uh, it is successful as well. Thank you. So just before I ask this question of you, Danny, uh, I want to set the stage for our audience. First of all, Ambassador Ayalon is somebody who is associated with the right of center and um, Ambassador Cole is somebody who I associate with the left of center or center left. Please, both of you feel free to redefine yourselves and your responses. But I view those disparities of opinions as part of what makes the work of this institute so very enjoyable and so very enlightening. that We can have individuals as skilled as yourselves coalesce around a given subject and give of your insights. So do feel free to correct me if my description doesn't find favor in your eyes. But I mentioned if that- I, If I may say, Benjamin, if I may say, as you could see on critical issues, there is no left, right, right, center. There is care for the country. That's right. And I, and I will also say, if I may be self-indulgent for a moment, that's something that I've very much learned from you, Arthur, in our conversations over the years. Right from when Rosita and I first walked into the foreign ministry, you were still in situ as the deputy director general, and you took us directly to that point, if you remember. So. Uh, thank you very much for that. I, I want to turn now to the issue of Judea and Samaria. So Prime Minister Bennett has always been very forthright about his opinions on the legitimate presence of the Jewish people in Judea and Samaria. And indeed, further construction there has just been approved and announced, including in Mishor Adumim and Karnei Shomron and elsewhere. Now, Bennett was very supportive of the mooted application of sovereignty by the previous government. It was an idea that was ultimately shelved in deference to the Abraham Accords. President Biden has clashed in the past with Prime Minister Netanyahu over communities in East Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And he was vice president when Resolution 2334 was adopted in part due to the abstention of the Obama administration in November 2016. So, Danny Ayalon first, how does a PM Bennett adhere to his ideological standards and principles while forging a connection with President Biden? Well, the short answer, uh, Benjamin, is that uh, it uh, may and probably will be a bone of contention and the secret of the two administrations is to go to the golden rule of uh, uh, no surprise by each side and also by uh, agreeing to disagree and not to let any disagreement on, on these issues, which is not part of the bilateral relationship to uh, spill over to the, um, to the relationship. It has always been uh, the case 
Um, under Obama, there was a little bit of uh, um, aberration of that. But I would say that uh, short of um, President uh, Trump, all American administrations since 1967, whether Republicans or Democrats, had the same position. And uh, all of them had uh, disagreements with uh, Israeli governments, both from the right and left uh, in Israel. You know, uh, Benjamin, that uh, actually the, uh, the entire project, if I may, of the uh, Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria started by no other than Shimon Peres uh, under Rabin's government, uh, which means the Labour Party. And um, during Ehud Barak, when he was prime minister, there was more construction done uh, than under some uh, uh, months or years of even Bibi Netanyahu. So here, I think it uh, a lot will depend on the trust. If there is a mutual trust and uh, appreciation and mutual respect between the two leaders, this can really uh, bode well for this issue as well. And this is why the, the first visit of uh, the prime minister in Washington will be critical. In this visit, usually, well, in every visit uh, between, uh, in, uh, you know, prime minister in Washington, there is always a, um, a time, uh, could be half an hour or it could be extended to an hour or more, dedicated to private meeting, you know, one-on-one -on -one between the prime minister and the, uh, uh, the president where they can size up each other first, especially when they don't know, they never met before, but also where they can really um, spill the beans, so to speak, where they can really be very, uh, I would say, honest and transparent and go all the way down if uh, indeed they want to. And I think this is very important to do that. So each side knows exactly the thinking of the other side, the considerations, including political considerations of the other side. And this is how they can even uh, agree on a path or a roadmap of the relationship. Uh, so there is no doubt that Biden will not be any different than uh, all other uh, administrations, uh, closer to uh, uh, maybe Obama than even uh, Clinton or Bush. Uh, I'm talking about Bush 43, uh, George uh, W. But the issue can be circumvented if they come to agreements in the beginning where uh, they look into real politics and not into uh, grandstanding or any kind of uh, um, grandstanding rhetorical uh, speeches. You see, uh, Bennett at this point has to establish his legitimacy and uh, here in Israel and also uh, his, uh, I would say, authority and the leadership abroad as well. He knows that he presides over a government which is split ideologically, so uh, he is pretty much, his hands are tied um, when it comes to uh, controversial issues uh, like what to do with the, the, the settlements, um, even the two-state solutions. Uh, but here, practicality comes to, uh, to mind. First of all, uh, there is no partner on the other side. And I think Biden and his administration knows it very well. So there is no point in getting into a clash and talking about what should be the final statement uh, agreement or settlement if it's only theoretical and far, far down, uh, down the road. Let the Palestinians have their uh, uh, 
uh, elections first, let them sort out their own house, you know, the, um, the, the real rift, war, I would say, not just a regular conflict between Hamas and Fatah. Uh, and only then we can really talk about some concrete issues to move ahead. In Israel, as I mentioned, paralysis in the government, in, in the political system when it comes to um, uh, the, the, the territories. So nothing is going to really uh, move in a, in, a, in a major way. So here I think they can come into some tacit and quiet understandings, what can be done, what cannot be done. If I were uh, to, to advise to Bennett, I would say you can come to an agreement where in the major Jewish blocks, we can build as long as it doesn't encroach on, um, let's say, Area C or Palestinian, let's say, uh, designated uh, uh, territory. But otherwise, it's really not uh, uh, judicious, not by Israel and not by the Americans, to come down and look at every brick, as Obama was uh, doing to uh, Bibi Netanyahu back in uh, 2009. And if this is the case, really this whole issue of settlements or the whole Palestinian conflict issue can be put, I wouldn't say to rest, but can be put in the sideline and uh, wait uh, to other priorities, first and foremost, Iran, but not only Iran. So Arthur, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come back on that. And, but, but before I do, I'm actually going to roll into the next question because it's a subject that you've written for us about. I know is extremely close to your heart. I imagine it's equally close to the heart of, of Danny. But I, I would like you to come back on Danny's response uh, after I've posed this question. Among other things, I'd like you to weigh in on whether or not we can afford to leave the Israel-Palestinian issue on the sidelines, as Danny just spoke about, especially given the operation that just took place a, a couple of weeks ago. Can we really afford to turn away from it? But let me ask you this question first. American jury, Arthur, as you know, overwhelmingly votes Democrat. They also overwhelmingly support the two-state solution. Now, to inject my own point of view here, both of you know well that I'm personally wholly opposed to the two-state solution as commonly understood. Uh, but we are in the era of a democratic administration. They're very likely to endorse the policy of the two-state solution, though unlikely, as Danny said, to do so urgently or with force. How can a Prime Minister Bennett, Arthur, square the circle of maintaining a maximalist approach to territorial claims while avoiding the trap of creating an adversarial relationship with the US president and by extension of that, significant swaths potentially of American Jewry as well? Uh, first of all, uh, I agree once again with uh, what Danny said, and, and I just want uh, to add a few other things and definitely touch uh, the important issue of, um, of, of the relationship between Israel and the vast majority of American Jewry. Um, I think what uh, we have to take into consideration a few basic truths before we try to analyze. And, and number one is, when it comes to the United States, it seems that the Biden administration is changing priorities and is shifting certainly some attention from the Middle East to the Far East. 
And, it, uh, and the Biden administration in that regard wants to see a stable Middle East as possible without surprises, without surprises, without clashes, without uh, policy surprises. And that includes Israel and the Palestinians, of course. Now, of course, the reality sometimes is different as it was a few weeks ago uh, in the latest round with, uh, with Hamas in Gaza. That, that is uh, number one, the, the, the Biden priority. The number two is Bennett uh, has a very complicated government to, to govern. Uh, it is, it is uh, it's, it's, you know, had you asked me a year ago if such a government would ever be created, I, I would think that you, you should be looked into some, you know, what did you take last night? Uh, but, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is reality. This government uh, serves a purpose. Uh, and uh, it is clear that amongst its objectives is not to make dramatic decisions on the Israeli-Palestinian issue. It cannot. By the very fact that it is comprised by uh, the way it is. Um, so... I don't, uh, as, as the, uh, Bennett himself said, this is not a government that is going to either annex or, uh, or withdraw from, uh, from the territories. That is not uh, on the agenda. But there is, I think, one important decision that Bennett will have to make and this government will have to make, I hope they will, and that is to change the balance between the Palestinian Authority and the Hamas. Because the Palestinian Authority, not only that it is weak, but it has been weakened by our actions as well. And on the other hand, the Hamas, not only that it has gained strength, but it seems that at times, more than times, uh, the way Israel acted to preserve the Hamas in Gaza and to allow it to, 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 to gain strength and to gain a hold more and more on, its, on the population was something that, uh, that we see from the results. And it is not pain. Uh, it, uh, it is coming back at us time and again. And I think it would be right for the Bennett government to move back to some kind of improved dialogue with the uh, Palestinian Authority. And that would be a, a bonus, in my view, also in the relationship with Biden, because for uh, the American administration, uh, it is important to see an improved relationship with the Palestinian Authority. And uh, if Bennett wants to achieve that, it would be right to, to listen to these desires by the American administration. Regarding the American Jewish uh, community, there is so much damage done in the last few years, or more, more than last few years, in the relationship between Israel and uh, the liberal Jewish community in the United States that there is also a lot of fixing to do. No, just, uh, just as a reminder, just I think uh, a week or two ago, Ron Dermer, who was 
the former ambassador uh, in Washington, said that uh, the relationship of Israel with the uh, evangelical uh, community is more important than with the Jewish community. Now, it is important to maintain excellent relations with the evangelical community as well, but let's not forget the, uh, the Zionist ideal uh, and, and the raison d'etre of the state of Israel, which is the state of the Jewish people. And I think that this uh, statement by Ron Dermer, who was so close to Netanyahu so many years, also reflected the way Netanyahu thought and acted. So there is a lot of fixing to do. And it is not only with regard to our policy vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians or the two-state solutions. There, are, uh, there is a whole list of issues that need to be addressed by our government, new government, like uh, the arrangement at the Western Wall, like uh, Giyur, uh, like... Conversions. Uh, like conversion, and, uh, and, and just uh, to, to send a, a, a signal of warmth and welcome, which was absent uh, uh, for some time now. And uh, I am glad uh, to see that the minister that was picked to, to lead the Israeli uh, relationship uh, with the diaspora jury, uh, Nachman Shai, uh, he, you know him very well, and of course, Danny as well. He, he, he is uh, very familiar with the issue. Uh, he is uh, he's a minister, but he enjoys also the skills of a diplomat, uh, and, and he served as a diplomat. And I, I, I'm sure that he will uh, make every effort to reach out to the liberal Jewish community and uh, to reignite the warmth and the desire and, and the excitement that, uh, about Israel that uh, we are um, so much in need. We hope you're enjoying this podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute. The Miriam Institute was established in order to provide a forum in which leading Israeli experts of diverse and disparate political and ideological perspectives could come together and share their experience, expertise and opinions about the State of Israel for the consideration of our readership, listeners and viewers overseas by way of online content and in-person presentations, lectures and events. You can learn more about these initiatives via our website, www.miriaminstitute.org. All of the work that we undertake is made possible by way of tax-deductible donations from people like you. We invite you to make a tax-deductible contribution to our organization via our website, and we thank you in advance of your support. Please enjoy the rest of this podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute. Israel's future in Israel's hands. And we're very, very pleased at the Institute to have Minister of Diaspora Affairs, Nachman Shai, as a continuing friend of ours, Arthur, he's actually going to be interviewing for us about his priorities, not just the priorities, but indeed his imperatives as he views them in terms of his outreach to diaspora communities. So 
everybody can look forward to that interview. I, I want to turn to another issue. Now, to give our audience just a little bit of information, we ran this webinar until quarter after the hour, so this will finish at 1.15 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. I've just got three questions that I want to run through, but audience, if there are things you want to ask, please put them in the chat box or raise your hand, and we will try and come to you if time permits, and I'll also try and interweave those within my own questions. So for my last three questions, and in fact, Arthur, what you've said has actually invoked a new question in my mind, which I'll, if time permits, I'll throw in there, but uh, both of you are highly, highly experienced diplomats. You're both intimately familiar with the responsibilities of the foreign ministry. Now, the baton for that ministry has been passed from someone that I believe, it's only my belief, but I believe to have been shown to be highly ineffective and ill-suited to the role of foreign minister, I'm referring to former chief of staff, Gabi Ashkenazi, to someone who I believe very much has the potential to be highly effective in that role. And that, of course, is Foreign Minister Yair Lapid. Now, is the presence, the amiability, the affability, and the dedication of Yair Lapid to the mending of fences between Israel and the Democratic Party, as well as his more secular leanings, the panacea to any difficulties that Naftali Bennett may face in the area of relationship building with the Biden administration. In other words, is, is he the, the right face, the right place, the right individual to offset some of the reservations that a Biden administration may have about a Prime Minister Bennett? And Danny, before you answer this first, uh, a little bit more context to that. He's just approved the placement and post of 36 representatives of the State of Israel abroad. And I believe that has to be a step in the right direction in terms of disseminating Israel's perspective effectively and in unison to the American Jewish community and the American non-Jewish community. So Danny, do you agree? Do you think PM Bennett will allow Foreign Minister Lapid to steer the foreign ministry in accordance with his vision for that ministry? Or will he seek to impede the work of the foreign ministry as we saw Prime Minister Netanyahu do, according to most accounts. Well, uh, Benjamin, there is a big difference between the foreign ministry uh, under uh, Netanyahu or under ministers who were under Netanyahu and uh, where it is now under uh, Lapid, simply because Lapid is uh, almost on par. And certainly in political power is on par with, with, uh, uh, with Bennett. So uh, he can really throw uh, his weight and uh, demand um, authorities to come back. And we already saw it with the coalition agreement just before the government was uh, sworn in, the, uh, the ministry received back the authority over fighting BDS and also uh, of um, uh, basically um, getting back uh, uh, authority vis-a-vis -vis the United States and the other powers and certainly Europe. So this is something which is given. And um, also on a personality level, I believe that Yair uh, Lapid uh, uh, has a potential to become very effective uh, foreign minister, not only because he uh, gets the budgets and because he gets the nominations and uh, all other kind, you know, all kinds of other uh, means that the ministry uh, needs, 
but also because he is a communicator, uh, former you know, a media superstar. As a communicator, he can be very, very effective in public diplomacy and also on a one-on-one. A, on a -on -one. When it comes to the Jewish community and mainly in the United States, our brothers and the sisters there uh, probably will feel very comfortable with Yair Lapid, but just one word of uh, caution. Um, I, I just hope that uh, just as the pendulum uh, under Netanyahu was going uh, all the way maybe to the uh, uh, ultra-Orthodox and uh, evangelists, I hope that now the pendulum will stay right in the middle and uh, that um, re-establishing establishing trust and great relationship with liberal Jews, reform, uh, and other uh, walks of uh, the American society, which is very important, the Hispanics and many others, and of course the Afro-Americans. I hope this will not be on account of the Orthodox and on account of the uh, evangelical community. Yeah, that's a very, very important point. And, and actually, Arthur, again, I, I do want to give you the opportunity to supplement Danny's response, because I know through our conversations offline just how important it was to, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, to almost rebuild the foreign ministry in a post-Netanyahu era. But, but before you do speak to that, uh, I want also to put in front of you a, a subject for you to tackle, which is the bipartisan support for the state of Israel, which is something that traditionally has been pursued almost as though it's a holy grail by successive prime ministers on the left and of the right. Uh, Foreign Minister Lapid has been in contact already with Speaker Pelosi, which seems to have been or, or seems to have resulted in a positive, though unremarkable call based on the reports. Uh, but he did say this last week. He said that, quote, the management of the relationship with the Democratic Party in the United States was careless and dangerous. The Republicans are important to us. Their friendship is important to us, but not only the friendship of the Republican Party. We find ourselves with the Democratic White House, Senate and House, and they are angry. We need to change the way we work with them. So, Arthur, in in the context of Danny's response and your own thoughts, of course, how will he change the way Israel works with the Democrats? And where are the lines of common cause between Bennett and Lapid in that pursuit? What can Bennett and Lapid coalesce around when it comes to outreach to the Democratic side of the aisle? First, first of all, uh, Benjamin, I don't think it is uh, in the hands of uh, Lapid only. True, he is the foreign minister, but there is a prime minister, and it is the duty of both of them uh, to work hand in hand in uh, creating a, a, a shared idea of how they would like to pursue the uh, strengthening of the relationship between Israel and the democratic echelon from president down. Uh, which uh, I, uh, you know, I couldn't have said, of course, uh, 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 it better than Lapid uh, when it, he described the, the need to rebuild uh, those relationships and the damage done uh, earlier uh, to them. Um, it is uh, Netanyahu has a, uh, Netanyahu, uh, I'm still, you see, after 12 years of using the word Netanyahu, when I think of a prime minister, I'll have to get used to, to Bennett. 
uh, uh, Prime Minister Bennett will have to um, uh, instill energy and, uh, and thinking because he is the Prime Minister and the relationship between Israel and the closest and strongest ally was always in the hands of the Prime Minister and his office. Um, you know, true, and, uh, and, and, and we know that Lapid is now the foreign minister and he is going to be a strong foreign minister because he is the key partner uh, and actually the creator and the co-prime minister in this new, uh, uh, new structure in Israel. Uh, and so he is a very strong foreign minister, but uh, it is in the hands of, of both of them. Regarding the pendulum, you know, I, I one of the small books which I enjoyed reading and again and again uh, when I was in high school was uh, a book uh, written by Maimonides. And uh, Maimonides uh, wrote about how one gets to the to the medium. He 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 was always preaching for moderation. And uh, he gave a formula uh, regarding how to heal someone who is extreme, you know, uh, obesity or uh, behavior and, and so on. And he said that in order to come to the, to the right place in the middle, sometimes you need to go a little bit to the other side. So the pendulum in the end ends up in the right place. I don't know what is... Uh, how it is done in international relations, but I do know that as it was critical for Israel to maintain a bipartisan relationship when Netanyahu was prime minister, it is so important to maintain that policy of not preferential attitude, neither to the Democrats nor to, to the Republicans to maintain and uh, strengthen, nourish those relationships today also with the Republicans and not only with the Democrats. Danny, let me ask you a question just to throw the cat among the pigeons here. Are we chasing fool's gold by pursuing bipartisan support in the United States? There were a lot of very critical and restrained representatives from the Democratic Party during Operation Protectors of the Wall and it's not seeming to abate that criticism. Is this tenet of bipartisan support and our pursuit of it uh, the equivalent to chasing nothing but an apparition or an idea that belongs to the past? Well, um, first of all, the bipartisan support is, is critical. It has always been uh, critical and it will continue to be critical. And it's very important to maintain and support and even to uh, strengthen. But uh, Benjamin, you touched a very, very important uh, point. And this is that there are two sides to the coin or that, that, that you need two for, for tango. And um, no doubt that uh, the new Israeli government will uh, go out of its way to um, reestablish uh, good relations uh, with uh, the Democrats. And uh, in that uh, respect, of course, uh, uh, democratic Jewish community, which will be a very, very important uh, element here, also will be a strong um, basis also to bring the Democrats back 
uh, on, uh, on Israel's uh, uh, side. But this is something that I hope uh, did not go too far. I mean, we, are, we know the, the squads or the gang of four, the gang of five, you know, there are a few, I don't want to mention names here, but there are a few members of Congress, which I would say are, uh, if uh, not only uh, anti-Zionist and anti-Israeli, I would say in many respects also anti-Semitic. And, um, and it's, uh, they, they are very uh, vitriolic in, uh, in their uh, relations, in their uh, um, response to, to, to Israeli uh, gestures, and also are very, uh, um, has been, have been and, and continue to be very critical of, of Israel in a way that we have not seen before by any um, stretch of the imagination. I didn't think that uh, somebody from the American Congress, uh, including members of the Foreign Relations or Foreign Affairs Committee in, in the House uh, would suggest cutting aid uh, to Israel or uh, talking about uh, um, almost uh, isolating uh, Israel. This is something which is very, very, very dangerous. And here we need, it's not our job to do it. It is uh, uh, squarely lies on the shoulders of our brothers and sisters, the Jewish democratic community in the United States. They are the ones who should, uh, and, and I'm afraid to say they went too far. I don't think that they can be brought back into the fold, uh, but at least they should be uh, isolated themselves so that the Democratic Party can uh, uh, regain, I would say, its uh, soul, its uh, tradition, and also its common sense of understanding Israel's, uh, um, again, natural alliance with the United States, uh, with the same uh, um, code of uh, ethics and, and values and everything that goes with it. And uh, here, when we heard all this uh, criticism by the squad and, and some others, uh, what was missing in my mind was some kind of correction by the mainstream Democrats. And the mainstream Democrats should rise up to this task. And certainly they should use now the leverage of having a new government in Israel to open a new page in the relationship and going back to this, um, uh, I would say, uh, a, a fabulous uh, past in uh, relations between Democrats and the state of Israel. Thank you very much, Danny. Let me ask an, another, I, I'm just going to ask two questions. I know I said I had three, but I'm going to, to add a question quickly. We've spoken about how the relationship can be built. Arthur, the, the ideas of what Bennett can do and Lapid's usefulness and utility there and, and indeed guidance and counsel. What can detonate the relationship, Arthur, in your view, between a Bennett and a Biden? I don't want to think uh, in, in such terms. I, don't, uh, I, I hope nothing will detonate because uh, the relationship that will be built uh, will be such that are based on, on trust, on uh, not surprising each other uh, on, on the ground, on, on policy changes, and uh, by co mutual consultation, 
and definitely uh, by uh, giving thought and taking uh, into consideration the interests and the concerns of the other side. And once we manage to do that uh, and continue to build on what has been sometimes forgotten, and that is that the relationship between Israel and the United States lie not only on interest, but also on shared ideals and shared vision of how we should live on this, on the, on this earth. And, and we should remind each other again about uh, those shared values. Then I don't think that uh, we will see any detonation uh, or explosion in those uh, relations. But of course, the foundation has to be strong and strengthened for that. So my last question, and then I'm going to ask Joram to come in shortly and ask his question. My last question for, for, this, for this section of the interview is the following. I want to talk about something you both alluded to earlier, which is the role of Israeli presidents. It's important here. President Rivlin, as you said, is is working with Naftali Bennett and with uh, Minister Lapid to coordinate the message he will relay during his upcoming visit to the United States. Incoming President Herzog certainly has the measure of the American political landscape, in, in my view. And I know that the presidency in Israel is not a political appointment, per se, by any stretch. But I do feel that deploying these two individuals and maximizing the potency of their stature, of their respective stature, is going to prove invaluable to a Biden-Bennett relationship. Now, I say that because the relationship between Rivlin, Israel's president now, and Prime Minister Netanyahu was at least at times very adversarial. Couldn't quite work together for various reasons. But now we see a, a coordination of the message, as I said, between Bennett, Lapid, and uh, uh, Rivlin. And we also see somebody with real bona fides with regards to the American landscape in Herzog, the incoming president. Is that a, a potent tool in the relationship building here, not only between Biden and Bennett, uh, but also between the state of Israel and its friends in the United States, whether Jewish or of other faiths? And, Daniel, alone, if you can come in on that first, and then Arthur, I'd love to get your perspectives as well. Sure. Um, okay, so uh, Benjamin, although it's uh, well known that uh, the role of the president in Israel is uh, mainly ceremonial, uh, but he could be quite effective in helping Israel's uh, interests, both uh, domestically, when he can really heal some rifts, um, you know, uh, in and among the population, and also when it comes to Israel's standing in, uh, in the world, and especially when it comes to relations with critical uh, Israeli allies, first and foremost, the United States. Um, one uh, uh, model, if I may say so, of uh, such a president that was very effective was Shimon Peres. Mm -hmm. And it's not a secret that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu actually was banking on Shimon Peres to really deliver messages in a way that would ameliorate um, relationship either with Obama or with Arab countries, uh, whether it was with Egypt uh, or with uh, Jordan and uh, in, in many other areas where Israel did not even uh, at the time have uh, um, formal uh, uh, relations with. 
I believe that uh, Herzog would be the typecast of Shimon Peres, first of all, because of his uh, vast uh, experience and knowledge of uh, foreign policy. Uh, he is um, very well respected. He's been around the block for a long time. He knows very well the Jewish community, especially in the United States, uh, by virtue of his uh, last role as a uh, as the um, chairman of the Jewish uh, agency. And uh, I have no doubt that he will be a great asset for the government, for Naftali Bennett and for Israel when it comes to, uh, hopefully it will not, but when it comes to kind of um, bring uh, any tensions down between uh, uh, potential tensions between Israeli government and the American administration. Arthur, what do you think? Do you, do you agree that that Boram are placing false hope in the in the the influence that these these presidents can have here? I don't think that uh, we should exaggerate uh, uh, the influence, but I fully agree that uh, um, a president like President Herzog, like uh, President Peres uh, uh, before that, uh, in the past. Uh, can play and will play, in, in the case of President Herzog, uh, an important role in strengthening and assisting uh, the government in strengthening Israel's position and dialogue worldwide. But I am, as far as I know, um, his almost number one priority, if not number one priority, and that is also because of his uh, position that he has, uh, is leaving, which is uh, head of the Jewish agency, and uh, he is fully familiar, not only with the uh, challenges of, uh, of the different Jewish communities worldwide, uh, but also the concerns and also the subject that we talked about earlier, the rift between uh, Israel and the liberal Jewish community, mainly in the United States. And he made it a priority to, uh, to uh, do his best. And, 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 uh, and promote a renewed approach and understanding and, uh, and hopefully also create some uh, forums, uh, forums and, and, and discussions uh, under his leadership that will uh, facilitate uh, such uh, a fixing uh, and a renewed uh, relationship. I think that uh, President uh, Herzog who has, of course, a political background and also now uh, as uh, head of the Jewish agency, by nature, he is a kind of a civil servant. And I say it as a compliment uh, coming from a civil servant myself being, uh, I truly believe it's a, it's a compliment in the sense that uh, President Herzog will not surprise the prime minister by what he is doing, but work hand in hand and, and serve the best of his ability and his, uh, he has a lot of ability to serve, uh, serve the country from his position. Thank you very much, Arthur. In the last 10 minutes, I want to ask Alan, could you bring in Yoram to ask his question? Yoram, as ever, you've got 15, one, five seconds to ask your question and uh, Alan's going to unmute you now. Thank you. Uh Two quick questions. One is an apparent change or yielding by Israel to United States, one vis-a-vis -vis China, 
by supporting anti-China votes, and two, agreeing, no surprises with the US, which Netanyahu already criticized. The other question is about cracks in the coalition, that its fragility could be obvious. One about unification of families with Palestinian families, and two vis-a-vis at Solilot, the submarine between Gantz and Saar and Bennett. Well, thank you very much, uh, Yoram, for presenting questions easy to tackle in the remaining minutes that we have. I, I don't know who wants to take which aspects. I think I'll, I'll focus firstly on the China issue, if I may, because I think that is a very important issue. And then, Arthur, maybe you can delve into the issue of the, um, the, the coalition wrangling, because I think that's something I wanted to talk about as well, but time didn't permit. Danny. Tell us about this this uh, this uh, uh, vote by the uh, Israeli uh, government in in favor of a more adversarial approach with regards to China's dealing with the the, the Uyghur uh, minority there. Yes, no doubt the China where the China topic will uh, loom large um, over the uh, the meetings, the first meeting between uh, Bennett and Biden, and probably also in the meeting uh, next week between Rivlin, President Rivlin and, and Biden. Here, Israel is between, I would say, uh, a devil and the deep blue sea. Uh, it's very important for the Israeli economy to uh, continue the momentum, um, commercial momentum with uh, uh, China, including uh, investments. But on the other hand, we cannot compromise, of course, uh, uh, United States uh, interests, especially uh, their security interests. And here, if uh, I have to uh, prioritize, certainly America comes uh, first, even uh, when it comes to uh, hurting Israeli uh, interests, when it comes to, uh, to um, you know, economic uh, benefits. Um, during my time in Washington, we had a big crisis uh, with uh, the Bush administration, uh, um, George W., and uh, this was uh, over um, UAVs that Israel supplied to uh, China. The issue was uh, resolved at the end by uh, drafting a memorandum of understanding between Israel and the United States, namely that uh, Israel uh, would run by the United States um, any shipments uh, to China of um, either military or even dual use. It means uh, uh, components that uh, are uh, uh, basically um, uh, civil uh, or civil uh, uh, or industrial issues, but also that uh, that could use uh, could be used in the uh, in the military. So anything which uh, has an American, of course, uh, um, imprint there. Uh, we have to get permission from the United States. And I think this kind of regulates the relations. And also, this uh, may uh, protect Israel vis-a-vis uh, -vis host, uh, hostile approach by China, because when we are um, you know, committed by this memorandum of understanding, the, the Chinese understand that we cannot actually uh, protrude or, or do something against it. But uh, definitely, the relations with China are not, uh, uh, let's say, uh, used to uh, uh, the maximum of its uh, potential. And uh, especially now, when the United States is very sensitive, 
Israel has also become very sensitive when it comes to infrastructure um, projects here in Israel uh, with the not selecting or barring uh, some Chinese companies to, uh, to participate or at least not uh, uh, to win. Uh, we uh, have not uh, heard the Chinese, uh, let's say, demarches or condemnations or uh, remarks about it. But I'm sure it will be very uh, well advised by the Israeli government. And this could be the role of Lapid, of the foreign minister and not the prime minister, also to pay a visit to, uh, to Beijing, of course, with full transparency with the United States, but also to explain to the Chinese what is the contour, what are the parameters of uh, the relationship um, without actually um, um, you know, having an adversarial effect on them. I mean, China-Israeli bilateral relations. Now, also, we only have a few minutes and the questioner raised about coalition wranglings and fallings out. He raised two issues. One is the family reunification uh, law. That's one aspect of it. And the other one that he spoke about was the investigation into the submarine affair. I'd actually personally like you to tackle the latter, if, if you can, because I think that the disagreement over the former is largely expected. I think so, yeah. uh, but, but feel free to take it. But to give our audience context, there is now a little bit of acrimony between Minister of Justice uh, Gidon Saar and Minister of Defense uh, uh, Benny Gantz. Uh, tell us about how that could not only affect the coalition, but also be uh, a, 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 um, a symbol of how difficult and fragile the coalition may prove to be on other topics as well. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, if you don't mind, uh, prefer to talk about uh, uh, the general situation rather than deep into specific examples, because these specific examples are only two of many that will come that, uh, will, um, uh, that will manifest uh, differences of opinions and, and, and ideas and ideologies uh, and approaches uh, by the different uh, parties that make this uh, coalition. And we have to uh, remember that uh, this coalition was, in a way, not a natural birth. Uh, was born, not born in natural birth, maybe a Caesarian. Uh, but uh, it, 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 uh, it was created with the purpose of, number one, to bring a change in the general discourse in the Israeli society to create a change and, and, and move away from certain um, paralysis that we have witnessed within the Israeli uh, political uh, system, leading from one election to another and another, and we could have continued on and on uh, probably uh, endlessly, and that had to be uh, put to, to a stop. And now that the government is in place, it will have to solve these, these two and other uh, issues coming up. That will be the big test. Uh, and I, I think that if we pass successfully the coming few months, then that will be, uh, and, and be able to pass the budget, which is a critical point uh, waiting for the government uh, in the coming, uh, in the near future. 
once a, a new budget is agreed upon and uh, the government passes successfully this testing period of time, then it will have a good chance of, of taking us into some kind of stability and continuity into the next year and maybe beyond. If not, and if every sim single disagreement uh, will come up and magnified by media and by politicians, then, uh, then uh, that, that might be uh, a problem for the survival of the government. Well, Arthur, thank you so very much. You brought us in right on time. I'm very grateful to you. There were other questioners. I apologize. We're not going to be able to get to their questions. It leaves me only on behalf of myself, the Miriam Institute, Rosita Panini, co-founder of the Institute, and Alan, our colleague in common, and of course, everybody who's listening either live or during the postcast podcast or on JBS, to say thank you to you. Thank you so very much for your insights, for your expertise, for continuing my personal education. And to you, Ambassador Cole, and to you, Ambassador Ayalon, I'm sure that you uh, join me in wishing every possible success to the government of the State of Israel, because of course, their success is the success of all of us. Thank you very much indeed, and I look forward to the next time that we meet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute, Israel's future in Israel's hands. It's our pleasure to provide you with exclusive content about the State of Israel by way of lectures, seminars, debates, and position papers featuring Israelis who have been at the heart of policymaking and policy implementation. The Miriam Institute is a US-based 501c3 non-for-profit for-purpose organization. If you're enjoying this program, why not partner with us today? Join us in our mission to steer, inform, and lead the international discourse about the State of Israel. Whether you invest in our campus initiatives, our work in the halls of legislation, or our gold standard tours to the State of Israel for international students and faculty, you can invest in the Miriam Institute today by making a tax-deductible donation to our work. Visit us online to learn more about our legacy and naming opportunities at www.miriaminstitute.org. The Miriam Institute, Israel's future in Israel's hands.